Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and the Week in IndyCar, the very first Week in IndyCar listener Q&A of 2024. It is 7.28 p.m. on the 4th, and I'm just starting to record the show very late, and I feel like I'm doing something wrong already, y'all. <laughs> I don't know if I really had uh, working until 7.30 or starting a hour-long or so show at 7.30 on Thursday night, uh, fresh into the new year, but here we are. So, you know, uh, some things don't change, I guess. Uh, I'm Marshall Pruitt. Really and truly do appreciate y'all and the great questions you sent in. Our dear friend, Jerry Suddeth, who puts together the questions, said there's 30 already. And keep in mind, there hasn't been a lot going on in IndyCar. Series-based news team-based movement not been a lot going on past couple of weeks but lost our good friend jill de Farron here so got some questions about jill to open up with and a few more so why is my silly self kicking off the show at almost 7 30 p.m on a thursday night instead of watching my golden state warriors hopefully not lose yet again to the defending denver nugget champions well uh, I guess it does come back to our friend, Mr. DeFerrin, in the best possible way. Just within the last couple of minutes, finished editing six-part feature, remembering Gilles DeFerrin. And so wanted to get that done, needed to get that done. Going to get those posted here tonight, hopefully. Great time. Got the final interview done today with Dario Franchitti. Also spoke with Zach Brown, Gilles' race engineer at Team Penske, where he had all of his greatest success. Tom German, tell us about what made him so special from that technical and engineering mind of his. Simon Pagino, whose career was basically at its end until Gilles extended a hand and revived that career back in 2008, believe it or not. Good pal Scott Dixon, and also Justin Bell, who really rates among Jill's best friends for the last couple of decades. So, six-parter here. All are under an hour, except for the one with Simon. That one's about an hour 20, but the rest, somewhere in the 20 minutes to half hour or so range. So, I hope you'll take a listen to those and learn more about Gilles, the person, also aspects of Gilles, the driver, but so many things. Simon goes into amazing story about Jonesy, Keith Jones, refueler on the DeFerrin Motorsports Acura and the just horrific fire, refueling fire that uh, damaged him so badly and Gilles' uh, instant and immediate care uh, of Jonesy and looking after him. Um, just so many great stories uh, from our friends who are kind enough to join us. So that'll be going up here ASAP. Also, might have noticed, hopefully you've noticed, uh, we have a new show partner, one of our two primary show partners, continuing, say have since I think 2018, that's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium automotive chemicals and lubricants that 
I've used since I was a kid. My father, Pruitt family, going back to the 70s. Uh, TorontoMotorsports.com, our original partner, do a lot of fun stuff, especially in and around the Prude listener group, doing some fun things with them and for them. They're continuing, as always, makers, uh, sellers of great racing memorabilia at TorontoMotorsports.com. And our new partner, FAF Technologies. Really enjoy what we're going to do this year. Tell you more about them in coming episodes. Really, if you look at the core of their business, and yes, this is the same FAF. If you're a fan of sports car racing, the FAF Motorsports team, uh, IMSA GTD champions, GTD Pro champions, uh, have a pretty cool business. They have been developing recently FAF Technologies, all about next-generation composite engineering and manufacturing, so making carbon fiber things, really cool things. Uh, We'll get into more about FAF, but they're not on the good old Twitter slash X, but FAF Technologies happen to be on Instagram. The FAF Motorsports team is definitely on X, so if you are so kind and motivated, please welcome them. Um, just really good folks. Like I said, look forward to telling you more about what we're going to try and do with them this coming season. Other fun part, uh, our longtime show partners, <laughs> torontomotorsports.com look after all of FAF's, uh, trackside merch, a lot of the creative content. So while this is a different wing than the racing team, there is some just good general family like connections here that we'll have going forward so with all that said let's get into a show and hopefully going to be done uh, to at least watch the fourth quarter of the game but again i don't know if i want to because my warriors oh they've been getting molly whopped of late so did thing or two that i don't know maybe i'll try and do more of it asked you all to send in your thoughts on a couple of things, specific topics, instead of just the general Q&A that we open up to each week. Uh, asked you to tell me the beer. If a IndyCar team was a beer, or if a particular beer comes to mind that best represents each of the IndyCar teams or whichever ones you decided to choose, tell me what it was, what it happens to be. We got some great answers here. I like, really love these. Then also asked about the thing you're looking forward to most in 2024 in this upcoming IndyCar season. So got a lot of that to close the show. Not a crazy, crazy amount of questions, but uh, that's okay. So why don't we fire off Keith Lee, Jordan Darwin, and a few others asking similar things about our guy, my favorite blockheaded Brazilian, Gilda Farron. Uh, Keith opens up, says, MPM show be getting a lot of requests for this, but can you please share one or some of your favorite stories or memories of Gilles? So in the Remembering Gilles de Farron series, Justin Bell is kind enough. I'd ask Justin, I think I asked most of our guests, how'd you meet Gilles? When did you meet him? Asked that of Justin, and he was then kind enough to ask me the same. And told him that story so i won't retell that since i already spent time on a podcast doing that here but would say one of the things that i loved most about gilles was the relationship 
that we developed. And it's one where him recognizing that, yes, I'm just a reporter monkey and, you know, these folks who don't necessarily, you're, you're in the paddock but not of the paddock. He recognized quickly that, oh, okay, no, actually you come from here. Um, this is your background. I'm going to treat you like one of us because you are. You're just in a very different role. So that's the story that I told in brief, but the part that I love building on that, Keith, was since he knew I had a mechanical and race engineering background, that was a big part of what we would discuss after we got to know each other. And so we would be at the track. This is during his 2008-2009 DeFerrin Motorsports team ownership and also co-driver of that those American Le Mans series entries with Simon Paginot and Scott Dixon, so many of the conversations we had revolved in and around the technical side. And I can think of just a handful of drivers where I have been able to maintain such a relationship, Keith, to where I would ask questions, albeit as a reporter, but really from my race engineering background, understanding that side, uh, and have these deeper dives. Sometimes those things would go into print. Sometimes it would just be Gilles helping me to understand something. Uh, he informed so much of what I did early in my career that it just really, <laughs> it was a kick. And there was a, a complementary side to that as well, Keith, to where the trust that he showed in me because of the, okay, I see, I know you have a race engineering, IndyCar or whatever, sports car background, and okay, you're, you're one of us. You're one of my guys. And because of that, uh, he protected me, I guess, at times, 2008 more than 2009 but especially 2008 in the alms really wickedly competitive tons of money being spent penske and porsche with their rs spider lmp2 fighting the factory acuras with the farron and dreddy green back then as it was known fernandez racing uh highcroft racing mazda was in lmp2 as a factory entry audi was there with their big lmp1 le mans winning turbo diesels fierce competition fairly somewhat open competition right not spec you had a really good idea you could do it the rules allowed it put it on the car and so acura of all the brands was the most go away cover it up don't look at it don't shoot it like they were super super paranoid in how they went about things back then um it got to be confrontational at times adversarial so this is a gill adjacent story but steve reagan one of the great uh great mechanics of the cart era moved into sports cars was working with gill i just noticed that me being over on pit lane during a LMS session in 2008, uh, 
the more I'd walk up to the DeFerrin Acura Airx 01B um, with my camera, obviously hoping to take some technical photos of engine cover and what was beneath it and up front if the dampers were exposed and looking for any little new aero bits and again who knows whatever started to notice that uh fine deferrin motorsports mechanic steve reagan was always curiously in the way of my camera and uh you know keep in mind he also had a job to do uh but i would start to time things a little bit if he had to whatever it was, rattle a wheel off or uh, take the nose off or whatever it was, you know, I'd find my spots to do what it was I was there to do. In later years, he would admit, yeah, he was told. Uh, whenever he saw me, block me, get in my way. And I have a great photo I've shared with Steve once he confirmed what was pretty obvious, but it's generally just him looking like a bouncer standing in front of uh, Gilles Acura, which I loved. At that same time, and this maybe comes back to uh, uh, more directly to Gilles, and I'll move on to some of the other questions here. Uh, I think it was Laguna Seca, season finale, I believe, in 2008, something like that. And there had clearly been an edict passed down, not just to DeFerrin Motorsports, but to all the Acura teams, uh, keep this Pruitt guy out. (laughs) just (laughs) whatever you can this guy we do not want him and his camera anywhere near anything that we're doing and so i remember the exact setup for it again i don't know if it was an email that went out to the teams i don't know if it was an in-person meeting in the morning with all the teams whatever it was with acura and their teams but clearly the message has been had been sent down to you know crew chiefs drivers and whatever that you see this moron with his camera or trying to get up close to the car, run him off, get him out of the way. Don't let him do his thing. Got it. Again, nothing new. Uh, I didn't take it personally. Not uncommon again, back then. And they weren't the only team, right? The Peugeot team, a sports car team were 10 times as combative and they wouldn't send one person. They'd send two or three to block you and, try and put their hands up in front of your lens and or put your their hands on the lens, at which point I'm like, homie, this is about to not be good for you. Like, I'm not putting my hands on you. Don't do that here. Never got to that level with Acura. But again, wasn't uncommon for this era since it was not a spec formula and folks were indeed trying to innovate and not let their new ideas come to light. So the fun part that I remember here specific to Gilles was having, I guess, however this was communicated of block, defend, and run off this Pruitt guy. Gilles came up to me and uh, in his very classy way said, Marshall, I just want you to know you are always welcome under my tent anytime. Like, Thanks, Gilles. I think he and I had had some discussions that Acura was, again, being a little aggressive. Maybe he'd seen it, maybe the complaints, or not complaints, but a little bit of the back and forth he was, I think, aware of. So he came and mentioned that to me, and it was a very clear, like, hey, it's my team, it's my transporter, it's my car. 
even if Acura was paying for all of it. But like, just you're you and I are good. You're always welcome anytime. And genuinely said, walk right in, whatever you need. Crew chief Kelly Potter had gotten that message as well. I don't again, I don't know how. There's email or sitting in a meeting with Acura and. Kelly, who is a little more robust guy, right? A little, you know, stronger, beefier guy. Could be a sweetheart. Could also be a little bit of a hammerhead. Um, took Gilles up on his offer. Don't remember exactly what it was. Might have been after a session or whatever, but wanted to go in and ask Gilles. Again, something probably technically related. And I got two or three steps, not even beneath the awning of their transporter, but just within two or three feet of Kelly sees me. And again, he kind of not super tall, but you know, you could see, you would imagine he played football in high school, uh, in a, probably a linebacker defensive role. So he had a bit of a physical presence to him and he catches me starting to walk towards the under part of the tent and like beeline for me comes straight at me like gets pretty close in my face blocks me right but gets like kind of right up in my face says uh you can't come under our tent without permission really forceful about it like really trying to put the the fear of the lord in me kind of thing make a statement being a bit of a smart ass i just had to go uh, okay but like you see that guy over there and jill happened to be out under the tent towards the back and kind of turn around and look uh, like okay but your boss there like just told me like this morning i'm welcome to come under the tent whenever i want well you're not so and he just kind of turned around and went back uh, to keep doing whatever he was doing on the car. And I walked in and saw Gilles and asked him whatever, and all was good. And I didn't have a spy camera with me, and I didn't pick up whatever top secret thing that I guess they didn't want me to see that they hoped would be used to defeat Porsche and whomever else. But it's just one of those funny things where, again, he had been told to be the bouncer and to be the first line of defense and to uh, make me well aware that I was not welcome unless someone came out and invited me and escorted me in. Probably just didn't know that Gilles had more or less diffused that and wiped that off the, uh, the board earlier. And then when presented with the fact that, okay, I respect what you are saying to me, crew chief, just like you're the guy who writes your checks who's right over there just told me not so long ago that I can come under your tent. So, um, no disrespect, but I'm going to go with what he says because it is genuinely his name on the side of the transporter. And, uh, it seemed to befuddle Kelly a little bit, but again, uh, he was just trying to do what he was told and didn't know that that had been countermanded by the boss. So, um, just one of, uh, one of the stories about a guy really loved, really appreciated and just so regretful that I didn't spend more time with him the last year or two, just talking about whatever. It's going to Jeff Hildebrand. 
says, Happy New Year to you and your amazing wife and cats. Thank you, Jeff. I have Rosie with us tonight. Hey, sweetheart. Uh, she was just what my wife refers to as face down drunk at the bar. She does this thing where she doesn't just sleep. She tilts her head all the way down, uh, almost flat onto whatever surface. And I'm always somewhat afraid that she's like blocking the air passages to her nose. But yeah, she does look like she's face down drunk at the bar, but she's joining us. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, says, what was your first memory of meeting Gilles? Mine was in 1995 after practice at the Cleveland Grand Prix. He and Jim Hall were sitting on the wall. I nervously approached them and showed them a draft I did to improve downforce on the car. He said a wing on the side of the car above the side pots. They both responded kindly and said it was great. Hall said he'd remember that for his next design. And as a kid, I was thrilled. So Jill signed it for me. Silly, I know. But, and you... Well, that's the uh, the story that I share with Justin Bell on the Remembering series. So might just defer to that, Jeff, because I don't know how long it took to tell that story. But I didn't meet him, meet him, until 2008. Uh, my time working in IndyCar, although I got to see a lot of him in his debut season uh, in cart and was there for his first win and all kinds of great stuff, working in Indy Lights in 1995 and we were the support series for the card indy car series and you know 96 7 etc and got to be in and around and see a lot of Gilles' greatest greatest successes but at that time i was just a crew member working for teams doing whatever it was that i was doing he would have had no reason to know me so other than kind of what we all do which is you know you're walking through the paddock and uh, you see someone, you just kindly say hi or hello backwards, you know, or in return, you know, uh, said hello to Gilles, I'm sure a couple of times. Um, that's about it though, until we met in 2008. So, um, to save time here, definitely, uh, hope you'll listen to the remembering selections that we just putting out here momentarily. Uh, Adam Kapiski, you say, as we all gear up for a return to racing at the Rolex 24 of the current roster of IndyCar drivers that have not gotten behind the wheel, the top class, who's the one you most want to see run for the watch. Can I admit to you, Adam, that as much as I tried to have some downtime and battery charging time, I'm mildly freaking out that in a little over a week and a half, uh, actually no, uh, 13 days, 12, whatever it is. By the time you listen to this, I'll be getting on a plane for Daytona. Um, and then I'll be there for a week and a half at least. Yeah. So the fact that the racing season is starting again and with as busy as uh, the off season was at least for hashtag me personally, uh, again, not a complaint, just kind of a, Oh boy, it barely feels like the last one ended and diving right back in, but off we go. Uh, William Jehoshaphat power is the one that I would really love to see, get a chance. He was meant to race in the Rolex 24 last January. He was going to be in the GT D class. Uh, wasn't able to obviously, but 
uh, for Will, knowing where he's at in his career, uh, I, for him, I hope he gets a chance to do this very soon because I think he will absolutely love it. Um, the other one I would say, I guess related, and they're both Team Penske, is Scott McLaughlin. I'm stoked for his Penske Nicar teammate, Joseph Newgarden, getting to run with the Penske Porsche Motorsport Factory IMSA GTP team, the Porsche 963s. Joseph did well enough in his debut in the top class, also with them at Petit Le Mans in October to get the invitation to come back uh, and do more. Do wonder. <laughs> this isn't said with any intentional disrespect to Joseph, but if I'm having to pick a IndyCar driver who is a verified, bona fide, checkmarked <laughs> sports car badass, it is Scott frickin' McLaughlin returning, racing in LMP2 again. Uh, so... I'm glad that he's getting more business and glad that he's getting another opportunity, but uh, the math isn't mathing, uh, to quote Taraji P. Henson in my head on why Scotty Mack is not in one of the Penske Porsche hybrid GTP cars. Uh, yeah, uh, as good as we have seen him be, drive like a animal in LMP2 already. Um, yeah, again, to me, the math ain't mathing. So, willpower for sure, just to, so we can at least do it once. But Scotty, yeah, it's not like Scott can go drive for the Cadillac factory while he's employed by Roger an IndyCar or pick the other rival manufacturers. But to me, it's like good on whichever LMP2 teams hire him, but that is an almighty waste of talent that should be in the top class at all times because that's how good he is. Uh, let's roll with Ken Anderson. How you doing, Ken? I think I still got an email from you I got to respond to. I'm I'm proud to say... <laughs> not proud truly embarrassed so that was just sarcasm but i'm proud to say i'm down to 25 emails that i uh, need to respond to some of y'all who are just like okay man you're just the hottest of garbage and i cannot argue that but yes uh some of you dear listeners have sent me emails about various things they are i've just kept them sitting uh unread even though i might have read some of them but i have a desire to get through them by the end of the weekend. Um, but yeah, don't hold me to that because I might not. But Ken, say finally, 2024, hoping that you and Chabrell had a great holiday. You know what? We did. We, uh, we took some time and continue to try and take some time just to be us. No big, let's go run around and do a thousand things and let's put on shows and whatever, like, no, like, let's just be still together. Knowing that, I'm going to be gone here for a week and a half. And then I'll be home pretty much all February, I believe. But then we kick off the IndyCar season at St. Petersburg. 
and we're back to the it runs the weekend before the 12 hours of sebring and so we're back to this being back-to-back weekends and there's no reason due to the schedule to take a flight all the way back to california on monday and then turn around and have to fly back wednesday um so anyways that's going to be another week and a half gone and things start to pick up from there so just with all that in mind like really truly making a very concerted effort to have as much time together with my girl uh, you say during this off season searching through the channels i noticed that fox sports one and fox sports two play a lot of nascar race reruns see with a new tv contract coming soon is there a chance of a network doing what fox is doing with the nascar reruns there's always a chance right uh we have this strange dynamic i don't know if strange is the word ken but nbc killed nbcsn nbc sports network that was a channel that was once important to all of its sports properties but indycar and Indy Lights back then in particular because, hey, if we weren't on big NBC, well, this is what we had. And so I realized that instead of NBCSN, we have the USA Network and there's some other options really if we need to with CNBC and and such. But what we've lost with NBC having a dedicated cable sports channel is the okay uh, we got some extra space extra time we have that anymore so i realize that peacock exists it's streaming it could always there could be a retro indycar channel uh where they just run nothing but back content i'd love to see that uh but unless we are talking about a new partner linear partner that has a dedicated sports cable channel cbs does for example they run they run a lot of unique motor racing content on that Uh, i've seen quite a few things over the holidays here throughout december and such where you go oh cool racing stuff uh even if it's just uh rewinds of the 2023 season or whatever it was reviews and such but I think that would be the main thing to keep in mind, Ken. If it's a network that has a functioning Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2 type thing, I would imagine that could be something they ask for. Do I think anyone at IndyCar would go into such a negotiation and say, hi, we want you to do this for us and to run our old content and just, right? I don't feel that they do have someone that would or would care or would know to ask about such things why would it matter again i don't know if this is relevant or not but i can tell you that as a younger person even working in racing uh usf championships level or indy lights level you name it when IndyCar, the Card IndyCar series was ABC slash ESPN property or 
some of its other partners throughout the years be totally common to see here's the 1974 indy 500 review right i don't remember if it was a half hour long or whatever but these awesome kind of history of the series and sport things that would show and again could be an espn2 back then or whatever it was but not uncommon and so you with 24 hours of programming to fill you'd see a lot of this really cool retro i think it was all indy 500 related stuff i got to admit it wasn't like hey here's the 1987 cleveland race all of a sudden but there was just a really cool educational aspect to it there was a randomness aspect to it as well ken which i i think that was actually one of the biggest attractions for me like you could just be flipping the dial flipping around using the clicker back in the day and hey whoa (laughs) there's rick mears winning his first indy 500 in this half hour cut down whatever it was uh wonderfully produced so on and so forth and all of a sudden this guy and other people are fans and again maybe deeply embedded in the sport but you're also getting these cool educational opportunities sometimes just randomly when you're looking for something to watch that was a beautiful thing so i would love to hear that this is possible i'd love to hear that hey we head into the off season and we just had 17 races and guess what you know i don't know we'll take a week or two break or whatever but end of october let's get rolling round one 2024 2025 st petersburg wherever and round two and let's replay the whole thing or maybe one of the edits let's pick up some other cool content let's do let's do cool stuff that celebrates us knowing that we have this massive hundred plus year history to draw from the passion and motivation to do that in the same way you're seeing fox is doing with nascar that would be a beautiful thing and in the absence of that being done on a cable channel um maybe whomever indycar partners with could make that uh an incentive or something that is a streaming option and trust me if they were to stick with nbc and i believe that would probably mean they'd need to stick with peacock if folks knew that they're five dollars a month or whatever it was for peacock that most people bitch and moan about had a dedicated indycar retro channel and it was being added to frequently i would have to believe those people who are grumpy about their five bucks a month for peacock would not be grumpy anymore so great question i don't think so but i hope so um i'm due to speak with someone from indycar here shortly who would be involved in that kind of stuff and i will do my best to remember ken thank you for sending this in as a question uh where are we going next we're going to go to our pal jordan darwin mp if you were contacted by a manufacturer about being the third supplier in indycar what would you recommend to help get them up to speed say what teams do you think would jump in 
say hashtag me personally i think hiring cosworth would be an excellent way to flatten the learning curve along with whatever knowledge indycar has mentioned sharing some secrets to help get a new supplier up and going do you agree is there anyone better outside of a current f1 or WEC engine supplier cosworth's the obvious one they're still in the game and heavily in the game uh there's some others that could be considered not saying cosworth is the only one but they certainly come to mind as the most obvious and one with the longest and strongest ties to indycar would you look to some you know there's a french supplier that does some really good stuff in high level open wheel there's an italian supplier that does really good stuff there's one or more three in the uk as well along with cosworth who do similar things and you know there are options for sure cosworth though to your point is the perfect fit the thing that the thing that if i get that call from a third potential manufacturer saying hi marshall uh, we don't know why we're calling you because we could just call IndyCar, but uh, we have some really bad advice. And so we're ringing you trying to ask how we should do this. I would tell them, Jordan, to call IndyCar, specifically Roger Penske, and ask Roger to try and help put them on in the same way Roger was prepared to help Toyota. I think I discussed this, I don't know, maybe last week, the week before in the show. So. Let me reiterate, IndyCar came close to signing Toyota as its third manufacturer a year ago, year and a half. Um, CEO, Roger had known for a long time. Roger being, I think, the world's biggest dealer of Toyota automobiles. Uh, great relationship, powerful relationship. Uh, that is something Roger was trying to leverage for IndyCar's benefit. That CEO was, as I'm told, more or less ready to go. Don't remember the circumstances as to why there was a change in CEO. Nothing to do with their potential interest in getting an IndyCar, but the old, strong, powerful relationship that Roger had with the person running Toyota USA that person who'd been walked down the almost the complete path to being into IndyCar is gone. And his replacement, not as keen. And so it was in the severing of that strong and powerful relationship where the ability for Toyota to become IndyCar's third manufacturer met its end. Is it dead forever hopefully not but the thing that was really important here in the part jordan where if that silly misguided manufacturer were to call me uh, instead of indycar first i would tell them to call roger and say would you be willing to do for us what you were willing to do for toyota and that is assuming this manufacturer does not have their own competition department right and i mean full-fledged department we can make chassis 
we can make engines, transmission, right? Like a big, powerful organization like that. And outside of F1 and the higher levels of uh, prototype racing, it's not really a thing that most manufacturers have in-house. They often have to go to specialty manufacturers to make the carbon fiber tub and whatnot or to create an engine for them. So assuming it wasn't a manufacturer or it was a manufacturer that didn't have all the vast motor racing design and creation resources to draw from, what we had here with Toyota, which again very is very powerful, but on the U.S. side, they don't have the same giant facility like they do in Cologne, Germany, where they make everything. Uh, here in the U.S., the offer was made to draw from Rogers' co-founding and co-ownership of the Ilmore Engineering, Ilmore Racing engine side, the ones that make Chevrolet's IndyCar engines. And the offer, as Roger told me, was to supply Toyota with long blocks and not everything that they would need but a lot of the big time intensive and cost highly expensive aspects of creating a motor that would take a long time and require a ton of money and so it was a willingness to say we can get you up to speed quickly flatten that learning curve by supplying some of the bigger metal bits that are part of this Ilmore engine package that we use uh, in IndyCar at the moment. You'd have to come up with some other things that were your own. Again, we're not giving away all kinds of secrets and, and whatnot, but here's an amazing head start. And so that to me was a really big gesture really trying to get Toyota across the line, bring costs of introduction uh, into the series way or considerably down, and that seemed to have a very positive response, Jordan, just with that change of CEO that went away. So for me, if a manufacturer could get that deal, I think getting a third would be far more possible. Uh, than it looks like uh, it is at the moment. Uh, Stephen Killsdog, I want to thank you for this question because it's hilarious. Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but uh, I guess I do need to figure out exactly when this milestone is reached. You say, are there any celebrations planned as the Delar DW12 chassis, as well as that Joseph Newgarden fella, approach their 200th IndyCar race starts? Um, <laughs> I do need to ask Delara about that, Stephen. Uh, that's hilarious. Um yeah, uh, to think a chassis might have made more starts than some of our favorite IndyCar drivers uh, throughout the years. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, that is a really, really good one. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I will ask, and I'll try and get back to you. I'm highlighting your question, by the way, because it's awesome. Uh, Lord Thike asks, IndyCar's adopting a Mad Max rule set contact is encouraged and pyrotechnics mean more than aerodynamics who are your picks for the best driver team and manufacturer say wishing you and yours the best in the new year 
Uh, so we're talking about the best Mad Max type team. Um, I am going to go with, I think the, uh, fairly obvious answer. Um, that would be Hunko Sollinger racing. Um, a little bit of a joke. We'd have to get Callum Eilat back. Uh, so it was Callum and Augustine again, but yeah, if you want to talk about a team that, um, uh, not afraid to produce their own pyrotechnics, whether it's on the track or off the track or between themselves or just generally uh, light themselves on fire um, and then jump into dumpsters. Yeah, uh, I think I think that one probably might be a, a consensus choice, but I could be wrong. Um, get down to the last couple of questions here, then we're going to close the show answering the questions posed to you, uh, Eric Franklin, you say, should we not have seen all this coming with Honda when HPD got folded into a larger group headed outside the USA? Um, yeah, they're not in, folded into a larger group outside the USA. Uh, they're just brought closer to the mother ship. So they're still functioning with full independence. Uh, budgeting is can primarily, if not exclusively out of North America. Um, could that change a little bit with some of their starting to help with the F1 engine stuff possibly, but, uh, the HRC us, uh, angle. Yeah. Um, this was actually something suggested by first by HRC us president, David Salters, at least that's what they told us. So yeah, this isn't, uh, HPD as we've known it, HRC us right now, Eric being kind of folded up and absorbed by someone else. It's just a renaming and, uh, really a first time alignment to where they no longer act fully independently, which I think that's a good thing. Uh, you say Honda's always fiscally responsible. There's no way that this wasn't going to end up in a quote, more eyeballs discussion with their on again, off again, F1 involvement. You say, to be clear, I'm one of the few who gladly wears my Honda gear at the track. It does matter to me when they win or lose. That's awesome, brother. Uh, I've been drinking primarily from my Honda mug uh, since Jill passed, knowing uh, how close and important he was to Honda. Um, the part that shouldn't be a surprise is that Honda, which has been not loving the, as they perceive it, growing return on investment imbalance spoke up uh, privately first to IndyCar more than once to IndyCar. And then this is my own suggestion, not something that I've been told by anyone inside Honda or HRC US, but I just know it's human nature where if you are trying to tell someone something that you're feel strongly about passionate about uh, you're wanting to see some sort of change or your concerns for the need for a change to be heard and fully received you do that more than once you don't feel you're being heard or that message is being received it's not uncommon for the next act or final act in this process to find a way to say it out loud and to as many folks as possible. 
So am I saying Honda wasn't feeling heard and received and listened to and all that? I'm not saying that. Wasn't there. Can't tell you. Just saying action-wise, Eric, usually when things that have been shared privately and more than once that are really freaking serious end up getting to a point where someone says, hey, share some things, talk about these things, and they're on the record. Um, It's another attempt to get folks' attention. So that's the first part. The last part here to close on this just to consider is this was going to come from Honda, HRCUS, not from Chevrolet, not from Elmore, due to the just no separation between them closeness. Like <laughs> they are shoulder to shoulder in lockstep alignment between General Motors, Roger Penske, Penske Entertainment, and Elmore Engineering. Uh, this is one entity in how they relate to one another, behave, speak, uh, any concerns that Ilmore might have or Chevrolet might have, whatever they are. Uh, I don't know if they have concerns. If they did, knowing that they are not truly independent in terms of no business relationships with Penske Entertainment slash Roger Penske, Penske dealerships, Ilmore Engineering, knowing that there's so many ties between them, there's no way Chevrolet, if they held or hold some of or all of Honda's concerns, is going to do anything involving saying it out loud. So the thing that should not be a surprise is that if Honda was feeling a certain way, they were going to be the only one granted. There's only two engine suppliers, but they were going to be the only one to step up, turn on that megaphone and say what they had to say and do it because they believe what they're saying. They believe in the series. They love the series and want to see it make some changes to make sure they can remain in the series. Uh, Indy Amy, you've asked this, I think, more than once, and I am sorry it's taken me this long to get to it, but I got something for you here. So our pal Indy Amy, if you don't follow her on the good old tweeters slash X, please do, at Indy underscore Amy, A-I-M-E-E. She's awesome. Uh, Also saw our dear friend Cassie, uh, mama underscore G force, um, saw a note from her on the good old tweeters today, saw a puppy dog and, uh, no, she's been going through tough medical health related times. And, uh, boy, we are, uh, pouring all of our love and hope and prayers and just positive energy, pouring that into something headed your way. Uh, Cassie, your great family. Amy says, do we know the format for the million-dollar race yet? Do you know if qualifying, practice, etc. will be available to watch on Peacock? Also, do we have an updated testing schedule for the new hybrids? As an Indy resident, I would love to attend if they're doing any more at IMS. Let's go backwards. Don't know the schedule yet. Um, 
am aware that there's a late January test scheduled on the hybrid side, but mapping everything else out as for when and where one of the things the new year here, I need to go and get figured out. Um, do we know if all sessions of the thermal club million dollar all-star challenge will be available on Peacock? I don't, but I would have to assume the answer is yes. Why? We know the Sunday million dollar race setup thing is on NBC, big NBC. So they're sending trucks, cameras, all that kind of stuff to thermal and setting up to televise this on the big network on Sunday. Um, you'd have to believe that they would be using those cameras to get everything aired and locked in and practiced and tuned up and whatnot uh, during the sessions beforehand, knowing that it's also a test. Uh, so I don't have a formal answer for you that everything that happens on track will be brought to us, but I gotta believe if they're making that kind of big effort, Amy, it'd be silly to have the camera sitting there not in use um, leading up to the big show on Sunday. And then here's the fun part that I found. Took just a little while to uh, rediscover where the heck I'd put it. Um, here's the format as it is in a one-pager sent to me by IndyCar about the format. So, again, I don't know if it answers every single thing you're curious about, but let me just read this verbatim uh, because it's 300 words of glory. Headline of the Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge. The NTT IndyCar Series, all three of those words, NTT IndyCar Series, all caps. Why? I have no idea. Um, takes its pulsating wheel-to-wheel -wheel action to the Thermal Club for a two-day open test and qualifications Friday through Saturday, March 22, 23, followed by unique made-for-TV racing exhibition Sunday, March 24th, the special event on the 17-turn 3.067-mile layout in sunny Southern California. You don't want to promise it's going to be sunny. We hope and assume, but again, don't oversell here. We'll offer a million-dollar prize to the winner. The top five finishing teams in this non-championship points event will split their earnings with the Thermal Club members embedded with each IndyCar Series team and driver. So there we go. There's the sizzle. Let's get into the details. Qualifying. 8.05 p.m. Eastern, Saturday, March 23rd. IndyCar.com, IndyCar Radio Network. Um, okay, so had I read this beforehand, uh, I probably would have learned that qualifying, it doesn't say the word peacock. It says IndyCar.com, IndyCar Radio Network. So maybe I'm wrong about everything being on peacock. Uh, based on a random draw, dividing the field into two groups, Amy, each group receives a 15-minute qualifying session to determine the starting order of their respective heat race the following day. So, evening qualifying, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, 5.05 p.m. California IA. Then, the Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge, noon Eastern, Sunday, March 24th, NBC, Peacock, IndyCar Radio Network. Two NTT IndyCar Series heat races, will decide the 12-car field for the million-dollar challenge. 
Laps under full course yellow will not count. Pit stops for emergency service only will be allowed. The heat race. Heat race one, 10 laps. Top six finishers advance to the final. Heat race two, 10 more laps. The top six there. Top six finishers advance to the final. In the final 20 laps. The field of 12 cars line up according to their finishing positions in each heat race with the finishing order in heat race one occupying the odd number starting positions and the finishing order in heat two occupying the even numbered starting positions. The first driver to complete 20 laps be named the Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge Champion. Million Dollar Challenge Purse Breakdown. First place, $1 million. Second place, 700000 Third place, 500000 Fourth place, 200000 Fifth place, 100000 Sixth through 27th place, receive $23,000. And it's the last line there that when I saw it the first time, confused the heck out of me. Because they said, the field of 12 cars line up according to their finishing position for the final 20 lap contest six through 27th received $23,000. So I don't know what you and I need to do, Amy, but we need to figure out a way to be at least the 13th car entrant because they're apparently given out 23 grand. If we can finagle a way to quote, be in the race of 12 cars. Um, yeah. Uh, so I would think the sixth through 12th place receive 23 grand, but they have 27th. So might've just been a little oops to not replace the 27th with 12th, but you never know. So maybe you and I, uh, Amy and Pruitt Motorsports, uh, we're aiming for P13 also known as not even taking part in the race. But if we can get 23 grand for somehow gaming the system and being on the entry list for the final, um, yeah, Hey, I'll, take home my half of 23,000. All right. That's what we got here from Amy. We've got the final question, Todd Hudson. You say, Hey MP, we know money is the name of the game with the Lindsay Brewer call up to Indian XT. That being with Hunkos Hollinger racing. Um, that's not your question, but let's make that your primary question here. Um, yeah, so I'm always cognizant of the men saying really judgy thing about women, first of all, and then men doing that in sport, which I'm trying to be hyper aware of to not be that guy. Saw lots of really super negative things about Lindsay's signing. Can't disagree with the didn't really show anything in Indy Pro 2000. That warranted saying, yep, you're ready for Indian NXT. But I know having spoken to Ricardo Junkos about this, there is a real, a serious, and a articulated driver development plan that they have worked on and will have in place to give Lindsay the finest training, tuning, and development she's ever had when she made the transition from karting into junior open wheel racing. So 
that's not speaking ill of anybody she's driven for previously in the USF championships. Just saying that here's an IndyCar team that has its Indy Light slash NXT team. Um, they got a lot of smart people, and he told me they really and truly are focused on saying, okay, there's still a lot to learn, right? Not everybody shows up at whatever higher class having gotten every single thing they could out of the previous formula 100 percent got it all there's nothing left for me here on to the next sometimes you get drivers where they got 50 percent, they got 60 they got something but based on her success i think primarily in karting there's clearly some something to work with the bones of a good driver the bones of talent that can be crafted and made more than what they are so on the surface i can't argue with anybody that says look at the results tell me that she is ready for india nxt say based on the results absolutely not she also would be about the hundredth driver to arrive in indy lights since it was founded 1986 where you go yep (laughs) you're showing up with way more to learn than others. So this is ultimately a learning and education formula that we have here and process that we have. And that's what she's looking to do. So I can't fault her for wanting to get to a bigger IndyCar affiliated team and to make use of their greater educational and development resources than she would find in any other category that is below NXT. The one thing I can share that is very specific to her that I hope changes. I can't tell you if this is something she came up with or asked for, or if her, you know, the folks behind her management and marketing folks doing on their own but i know that i had at some point in time maybe middle of the season or so an outreach asking if i wanted to interview her and it was all presented and wrapped around Lindsay having the most followers of any women racers in the world biggest social media profile millions of followers the outreach wasn't she's awesome she's highly accomplished she's a great racer it was strictly touting popularity i get that i get that today things are very different someone who is super followed on instagram tiktok wherever else is seen as having great value that so many others wish they could have, have that kind of following, at least in racing. And I would think in competition-based things like this, that is by no means the thing, especially for a driver in training categories, to be used as some sort of hook or validation or reason to try and get someone publicity hi i'm a race car driver i'm the most popular 
based on my social media followers of any other women racers. Just saying. Don't particularly give a fart. It's not a thing that would ever occur to me as having any value. There is no currency value to that in a competitive sporting environment because whether you have one follower or five million again the thing that you get judged on is how you do between the green flag and the checkered flag and the messaging here was way way out of left field and way off and it just made me feel bad because to my knowledge the main thing every young and emerging driver wants is to be viewed as not just good but great and as belonging and as someone who be asked back and given opportunities with bigger and better teams all about validation of talent and respect for that talent all the other things the social media and the whatever else those are awesome additions to that core competency of the things that I hope for, for her, whomever is advising her is to say, okay, we up till now, we're trying to pitch social media fame as the core competency or hook to apply to her. Yeah. Uh, I don't care male, female or whatever might be super popular on social media as a race car driver, nor do other racers. They just care about how you do when you're in the car. And so I just hope, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, I just hope that whomever's on the management and advisory side says, stepping up to the highest level you've ever been, let's, let's buckle in and focus on the journey of becoming the best driver that you can. That, to me, is something everybody should and i would think will respect if it's trying to hit things from the look at how many followers a driver has before they've proven that they're capable of running somewhere higher than the bottom of the field um yeah that's not the approach that i know is going to work um todd you're asking about some of the other women you'd like i'd like to see get opportunities you said love to see Sophia flourish for sure um if she wanted to of course all the best um we have a, a situation right now where not all but the vast majority of the really really talented women racers who might have some sort of north american appearances uh more than once we would find them in sports cars. Um, Wadu comes to mind. Pa comes to mind. I mean, there's there's no lack of like, wow, she's really good. Uh, doing things mostly in GT cars. Might see them in IMSA. Might see them a little more in the WEC. That's, I guess, what comes to mind, right? Obviously, we have the... Uh, F1's training category for women there. There's certainly some talent for sure. Seem to be more locked in on the F1 ladder and type journey. So 
while there's some desire to see talent there over here, I don't think that's super realistic, nor do I think uh, some of the awesome women competing and winning and doing big things in sports car racing uh, are really close or likely to head over do anything in American Junior Open Wheel. Uh, really and truly, uh, I just keep looking at Jamie Chadwick and have crossed all fingers and toes, hoping that this season she is able to demonstrate more of that immense talent uh, with finishing results that really speak to her capabilities. So um, more than anything, I would say, Todd, I'm just hoping that Jamie is able to uh, start giving the podium um, plenty of attention. All right, we're going to move into the final part of the show. And we're going to kick off the beers and teams question with our pal, Oscar C. Love. Hope I get to see you again this year. Oscar says, Penske is an overpriced IPA that everyone loves but tastes awful. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Neil Joseph, say Foyt would be old style. Hunkos and Coin would be hams. Ed Carpenter Racing would be Coors Light. Ray Hall would be Budweiser. McLaren would be Heineken. Andretti would be Goose Island. I'm not sure I've ever heard of that one. Ganassi would be Guinness. Really? Okay. I don't, I, I don't know if I see that one, but hey, that's your choice, so it's all good. Uh, Meyer Shank is Bush. We know that. That's like the only answer for uh, Shank Bush Light. Uh, and Penske is Stella. Stella Artois. Look at that. Isn't that a non-alcoholic beer? Wow. Uh, again, I think McLaughlin's kind of helping to fix that a little bit, but, um, yeah. Uh, Ed Joris, you say beers for IndyCar teams? Well, Anchor Steam for everybody. That's who they are, except for Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, they make the point special list. You lost me there, Ed, but that's not uncommon. Uh, David Coolish, a, uh, a mighty fine AJ Foyt Racing Insider, says Foyt would be Shiner Bach. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah Morrill, I always mispronounce your last name. I doubt I'm ever going to get that right, Jeremiah. Hello to you and your amazing bride, Sarah, and thank you once again for the uh, sweet little uh, gifts that you sent our way. Uh, you say, well, Marshank Racing, obviously, Bush Light. Foyt Guinness, you say, old, established, awesome, not approachable. Ah, wow, look at that. Uh, McLaren, Stella, uh, has to be served in the pretentious glass. And Ganassi, Coors Light, uh, Penske, Michelob Ultra, Ed Carpenter, uh, Kugel Summer Shandy. It's a good once a year. Oh, look at that. I've never even heard of that beer, but uh, good once a year. Uh, yeah, obviously what they're hoping to solve, not just to be really strong at Indianapolis. Uh, RLL, that'd be Budweiser, obviously. Uh, Hunkos, you say if Malort was a beer. I can't even know what Malort is. Uh, coin old style chicago beer uh andretti global heineken trying to be european adjacent okay <laughs> so i think i'm gonna need some help um i don't know i mean granted uh, i do love my belgian beers by and large but um so that's why this came to mind but i might need y'all to help me with some sort of weekly question to ask wacky silly dumb sarcastic serious i don't know 
Uh, I also feel that our guy, Jerry Siddeth, can probably help with that quite a bit. But I may, might need you all to uh, send in suggestions after the episodes go up of uh, what's potential dumb or silly or whatever questions to ask for the next episode. Because, um, yeah, this is fun. Uh, Aaron Steinbrecher. All right, you say, uh, Foyt, it's a natty light on a budget. We liked it at one point. Still holds a place in some hearts. Wow, you put some thought into this, Eric. Andretti, Samuel Adams, American, but distinguished flag-waving. Trying hard to be a top contender. McLaren, Heineken, European, but accepted and known in the U.S. by most. We don't mind you joining the group. Uh, Chip Ganassi, Corona, not everyone's go-to, but no one can deny you enjoy it. When the conditions are right, it hits perfectly. Coin, Coors Light, for the budget-minded, but trying to be a serious beer drinker. Not a college group, but honestly, we have zero expectations. Wow, some deep cuts here. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, Bush, always there, kind of reliable, accepted by many. Meh. <laughs> ah, shots fired. And by the way, did spend the three hours or whatever with my wife. Was it last night? Night before? Watching Cat Williams uh, on Shannon Sharp's uh, Club Shay Shay. Holy moly. I I just came away with with two observations. First of all, I love Shannon, but that might have been the worst interview I've ever seen in terms of the host asking questions. Just uh, not listening to anything Cat said and not picking up on anything and building and developing but cat williams oh my gosh and then all my wife has forwarded me we're probably up to like 15 different things our various reactions and clips and folks at cat was just eviscerating other comedians uh oh my god uh and didn't know this but as he said uh during his visit that he's a big car fan so maybe i need to come up with a way to get cat on the episode just talk about cars and then yeah because look if he's gonna bring that energy to an interview with me uh even if it's just ripping me apart for an hour or three like give me all of that anyways eric you just made me think of someone just going all in with giving zero bleeps so uh appreciate you uh hunkos you say modelo up and comer try it and like it Probably not your number one or two, but you don't scoff at it. Interesting. Um, RLL, Miller Lite. It was Bobby's sponsor. Also, we know it's popular, but we also know it could be awful. Maybe not your Indy 500 drink. Oops. Um, Got to admit, I'm really surprised we've gotten this far and no one has mentioned Bud Light. <laughs> Penske. Budweiser, king of beers. Who cares if you like it? It's the most popular. It's never going away. We also make a ton of other beers. Just face it. You know the brand and love it, even if you're not drinking it. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Come join me and have a Belgian. And then you will never, well, granted, you'll either never drink a Belgian again. Because if you have been a consumer of the Budweiser's and the Coors's and the Bush's or whatever, it's 
the like you've gone from drinking stale tap water to just going to the gas station and drinking out of the fuel nozzle um yeah king of beers that's hilarious it's a great marketing line uh marshank racing pbr all right i thought everyone knew that they were bush light mike was but uh pbr both have three letters that equal a good time uh might make you sick <laughs> and it might give you the time of your life either way you'll find out too late thanks marshall wish you and the family the best um i'm just gonna go ahead and say this uh eric steinbrecher you need to send in something every week um because whether it's questions or answers to questions um yeah oh my gosh that might be among my favorite responses to anything ever i've done with this dumb show thank seriously thank you for not only great answers but coming up with some great explanations like seriously i live for this stuff uh and we're gonna say farewell to the show with the what you're looking forward to in 2024 uh horatio frey you say the announcement of a third manufacturer and the return of led lights on the car well i guess we know someone who sent in an answer while they were still uh getting their equilibrium straight after uh new year's uh nathan derover you say i'm most looking forward to mclaren season i could see each driver winning a race or more and placing in the top six in the championship or i could see all three drivers going winless placing outside the top 10 in the championship uh they're a huge wild card in 2024 indeed uh mclaren and andretti ray hall to a lesser degree but mclaren and andretti have the greatest ability to alter the championship dynamic um that we've seen in a really long time so if they both deliver hopefully we will not have a so it's going to be ganassi or penske right <laughs> like it's just them two and everyone else if we can get close to them delivering to your exact point they're the huge wild cards and i am really and truly hoping we get both of those teams on their best form because not that i don't want penske driver or ganassi driver to win the championship i just don't want it to be a pretty simple straightforward thing we kind of know where it's leaning from very early in the season and pretty much get no surprises afterwards i like big question marks and surprises i would think most of y'all would too and yeah so everybody say your prayers uh whatever it is you need to do to get mclaren and andretti on their best form so that we can have a just cage match of awesomeness uh keith lee says i'm looking forward to seeing how marcus erickson performs at andretti global lundqvist does at chip ganassi racing and felix rosenquist at meyer shank racing i'm also interested to see how the honda situation plays out i'm down with uh all the items here keith uh steven look says my eighth indianapolis 500 in attendance and yet another road america weekend good on you steven appreciate that you're dedicated right uh you start stacking up some numbers and you get to your third and fifth and eighth and what and it's like okay this is a thing this is a tradition 
And whether it's a family thing or just you solo or just friends, it's awesome. Uh, Maybe sounds like an old guy saying this, but we need more traditions, more family traditions like this, obviously, because it's the thing we love, but just love hearing stuff like that, Stephen. It's like, okay, we're going to keep doing this and keep stacking onto this tradition. Uh, Neil Joseph says, I can't wait to see racing again in Milwaukee and hoping Rossi finds victory lane again. I'm with you on both, or I should pronounce that correctly, both. B-O-F, both. Ed Joris, you're back. You say, looking forward to how Penske keeps Honda in the series. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, Did you see that tweet from IndyCar today of the in and out list? Uh, The in for 2024 and out from 2023 or whatever, and one of them, the out was negativity. (laughs) Like, yeah, you people. Don't have thoughts or opinions. Don't have enough care and love for the series to say critical things. Not because you want the series to fail, but because you want it to thrive. Don't do those things. Just everything's awesome. Be blind followers. Never think in any kind of negative way. Like, oh my God, what are we doing? Anyways, sorry. Uh, I think I'm hungry. Um, what do we have? A couple more we're done. Lyle James. So hopefully this is the year the new car reckons with its vehicular situation. Other than that, the races I plan to attend are what I'm looking forward to. For better or worse, IndyCar just falls off my radar in the wintertime. Anymore, since there really isn't anything to keep me engaged. They're not on track. Sure miss the days of the February and March issues of Racer that featured those first testing photos of new machinery. Amen, Brother Lyle. Ow. Uh, all right that's a sneeze and my voice going on me and no we're not going to edit that out that's the signal to wind things down final item here our pal good old man oh michigan ryan terpstra says i look forward to nashville being the finale and hopefully attending i'm with you ryan i am super fired up about the move from my home track Laguna Seca as IndyCar season finale to Nashville. Why? Well, I hope it's just a bigger deal. Big credit to John Narigi and all the folks at A&D Narigi who took over running a Laguna Seca a couple years ago. They really and truly have been doing a phenomenal job. IndyCar is just not as popular as it once was in the region, and therefore don't see a ton of folks showing up for it imsa similar thing so love it being the final race because it's my home race it's super easy to get to drive home sunday night uh like it's just about as cushy a way to end the season and i am genuinely pleased that all that's going away and it's now becoming more of a pain of having to do a long flight and go somewhere else and do it on a street course. All that stuff, totally immaterial because I have great hope and belief that the promoters, of the event there, music city, grand prix, going to do a great job, sell a bunch of tickets and have IndyCar looking bigger and more popular at its season finale than it has in recent years. So I'm with you. 
I hope you're there, Ryan. Um, onwards and upwards. All right. This is our show. Big thanks to y'all for listening. If you want to join that Pruday listener group, bunch of fun, just really fun folks. Description on how to do that uh, or the information on how to do that is in the description. Big thanks to Jerry Sudduth again for putting everything together as he always does so keenly. Send in those questions of the week questions and we'll try and start doing that often. And huge thanks to torontomotorsports.com, the Justice Brothers, and to our newest partners. Please give them a uh, thanks, even if it's just at the uh, at FAF Motorsports Twitter handle. Uh, big thanks to FAF Technologies for joining us, wanting to be here, wanting to be in front of you, and looking forward to a great year ahead.